Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. This is Abdul Nasser Jengda, and you're listening to the Qalam Podcast. The Qalam Podcast has become an important part of people's lives all around the world. There are millions of people benefiting from the podcast every single day. Thousands of hours of content, dozens of different series from all the different teachers and scholars here at Qalam. All of this is delivered to the community free of charge. We are excited and actively working to grow and increase our efforts to deliver more and more benefit to the community. We ask you to support our efforts and become part of the Qalam family. Please go to qalamfamily.com and sign up to contribute to this Sadaqa Jariyah on a monthly basis. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from all of us Jazakumullahu khairan wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Welcome home everybody. It's good to see you here. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. How's everyone? Alhamdulillah. Uh, so we have some, some good news and some bad news. Uh, the good news is that, uh, well there's a lot of good news actually. Uh, the first good news is that, uh, I don't know how many of you guys know, but this, this space we're sitting in right now is not Roots. This is temporary, right? Uh, well, this dunya is temporary, so far, but, <laughs> you know. Uh, but this is a temporary space, and the, the roots that we're building is actually way back there. It's being constructed. You may have seen it uh, through the windows, but uh, alhamdulillah, you know, it's been a long time, a lot of work, going back and forth with construction teams and contractors and um, all kinds of different approvals. And alhamdulillah, on... Last Wednesday or Thursday, I want to say, we got our full approval uh, to use the space, alhamdulillah, from the city of Carrollton. So we have what's called the CO, it's a certificate of occupancy. So until then, you can't be in the space. And if you're there, you get in big trouble. So alhamdulillah, we are fully uh, legal <laughs> to go and use that space. Uh, the next step, inshallah, in the coming week, we just ordered all of the furniture because uh, we're kind of building like a large kind of co-working vibe. Um, so we're going to have like up to 85 workstations, couches, chairs, Persian rugs, just the whole, you know, we work, uh, you know, like, you know, we work. So, uh, a little Eric joke failed miserably. So, but, um, the point is that inshallah, we should be there in about 10 days. Uh, then the espresso technicians are going to come install the espresso machine. Uh, and we're going to have Sukhba open fully. Um, inshallah, we're hoping to go full-time hours, like 8 to 8. So you can come here anytime, get work done, uh, get your coffee here. There's no packed location in the area, so <laughs> we talked to Mwaiid about that, and we just said, you just stay away from this area, inshallah, so there's no awkward sibling rivalry. Uh, no, he's very supportive, mashallah. So anyways, all the patience, all the support, all the donations, everything that we've been doing, it's been a long time. And so, you know, when I got the news that we got our approval, alhamdulillah, I was very emotional. And the first people I thought of were you, because I thought, man, subhanAllah, like, we're not doing this for me. You know, I can't, I'm not just gonna go sit there alone by myself, <laughs> like that Will Smith meme in the living room, right? When the house is empty. I said, this is for everybody, this is for the community. So we asked Allah Ta'ala to accept from us, um, inshallah. So we'll be there soon. The grand opening that we're planning on having should be towards the end of October. We're hoping end of October. Uh, I, I can't say, religiously I can't say it, but Halloween, basically, right? Uh, October 31st, it looks like the first uh, day that we'll be in there. If anyone comes in costume, I'm kicking you out, inshallah, okay? Unless it's your kid, then we'll entertain it. 
okay, the other good news is that, um, well, it's, you know, partially it's bittersweet. Tonight's going to be the last night of Surah Kahaf. We're finishing the chapter tonight, inshallah. Um, so that's obviously a little bit bittersweet. But uh, the good news is that we'll be starting next Monday with one of my favorite uh, sessions. I'm not going to tell you what it is now, but it's one of my favorite sessions. I taught it before about five years ago. We never recorded it, so it just kind of disappeared. All right, once we did it, it was done. Um, and it was something that we did. It was a lot smaller of a group, but I think it's a really, really powerful uh, topic, inshallah, from Imam al-Ghazali, uh, rahimahullah. So we're going to be doing that, inshallah, starting next uh, Monday. And it's going to go back to a little bit what heart work initially started out as, which is more of a didactic, dialogue-based uh, program. So we're not going to be sitting here and lecturing. Tafsir is kind of difficult to get around that because when it comes to tafsir, you know, there's reflection, but then when it comes to interpretation, there is an accurate and there is like an inaccurate, right? And so there does have to be sort of research done. But in the next session, the next series, inshallah, it's a lot more uh, involved in terms of personal interpretation, thoughts and reflections. So we'll be kind of starting our sessions with like breakout groups, getting to know each other, uh, lots of activities, different things like that. And then we'll be finishing the sessions with more of, uh, you know, a, a recap and a summary of what Imam al-Ghazali uh, is saying in that particular chapter, uh, inshallah, okay? Um, alrighty, let's get started, inshallah, bismillah. So, we are now at the end of Surah Kahf, and we finished, how many stories were there? Four. Four? Okay, who can name all of them? Who can give me the themes, yes? In order, oh, you only know one. <laughs> I'm not laughing at you, I'm just laughing because you put your hand up so quickly until I said all of them, and you're like, nope, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. Anyone else? Uh, the, the boys in the men in the cave. Boys in the cave. The two guardians of the garden. Yeah. Um, um, Musa and Khadr and Dhul-Qarnay. Very good, Mu'az. Okay, so we have the, the, young, the young men who took refuge in the cave from the evils of their society. Then next we had the two brothers, right? And one of them with the two gardens. Uh, and then we had after that Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam, Prophet Musa, Moses, and Khidr, and the lessons we learned there. And then we had Dhul Qarnayn. Dhul Qarnayn was the one that we just covered, the pious, righteous, powerful ruler and leader. And all of these stories have their own unique lessons, right? What are some of the lessons you guys remember from any story? Just name the story and the lesson you remember. Patience. Hmm? Patience. Patience. From which one? Musa. From Musa and Khidr, right? Patience. Particularly with what? With what you don't? With what you don't know, right? There is patience, and this is one of the things that we said. If you want to come to know the truth of something, you have to be patient. The truth does not reveal itself quickly. Truth happens after time, in due time, right? So if a person wants to know something, if a person wants to experience something, they have to get comfortable waiting. If you guys have ever, like, I don't know during COVID, if you guys baked as much banana bread as me, right? Or tried, tried your hand at, like, baking sourdough, there are some things in life that time is part of the recipe. It's not an active part, and that's what's frustrating, is that you'll see like a recipe and it'll say active time, 15 minutes, total time, three days. And you're like, wait a minute, what am I doing here? But the reality is that some of the things that you're doing, there's an alchemy. And the alchemy, alchemy means changing one thing into another. When you follow that process, the alchemy requires that there be time. And so if you're in a point in your life and you're wondering, waiting for something, right, whether it's personally, professionally, right, so many people in this room, how many of you are married? Raise your hand. May Allah bless you, okay? Can I ask you guys a question, those of you who are married and girls? 
the statistics just became abundantly uh, overwhelming for me, okay? Uh, maybe it's true what they say about roots. So, uh, but let me just tell you, okay? Did you guys have to wait, or did you get married, like, immediately? I said. Four months. But, like, in life, from the time you decided you wanted to get married. 27 years. 27 years. My brother... The doctor's like, what would you like to name him? His mother's like, single. <laughs> uh, single, ready to, ready to mingle, right? Okay? Yeah. So, again, patience. And, 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 again, realistically, from the time you decided that you wanted to, okay, I want to get married, okay? Or, okay, I want to switch careers. I want to look for another job. Or, we want to get a house. Or, I want to move, like, whatever. From the time that you make a decision until the time that that thing comes, becomes a, you know, a reality, the fruition of that thing comes, there's time. And even when you make that first jump or that first leap, there's still time of the, of the ripening of that moment. So you move into the house and the first night you're there, it doesn't smell like home, it smells like paint, right? And then after that, you get like a little bit of furniture, like you're sitting on cardboard boxes and eating pizza. And you're like, this is great, right? I kind of miss home. I remember the first night I moved out of my parents' house. I was 21, I moved to Richardson, Texas to be a youth director at, at INT. Some of y'all don't remember those dates, right? And I remember sitting on my apartment floor by myself being like, this isn't all it's cracked up to be. You know, I missed the kushari and take and like, I missed, I missed it, right? I didn't have anything, I had nothing. And my bank account had $37. And I went and I spent 10 of that on pizza. It was the worst financial decision I ever made, percentage-wise, in my life. I spent 33% of my net worth on pizza. <laughs> Could have just gotten bagels and mozzarella cheese and sauce, but that's another story, and it came full circle recently. So, that's number one, patience. Very good, Michelle. What else? What else have you guys learned from these stories? Yeah. The, um, the youth at the cave basically hanging on to their faith in the midst of a society that was corrupt. SubhanAllah. You know, a lot of people get caught up on the other three stories, because there's so much detail. But the first one is like the most slept on. And that's not a pun because they were asleep. <laughs> the first one is definitely the most slept on, subhanAllah, because no one appreciates, no one appreciates the lengths that people go to to protect themselves. It, it's, it's never admirable in the moment, you know that? Like you're only a hero after the fact. Like when they were doing this, no one was like, wow. People were like, what are you thinking? Right, the society is looking at them. Are you crazy? This and that. How many of you guys have been in a moment where you decided to do what you knew was right for your iman, and everyone around you is kind of like, what? Whether it's professional, financial, they're like, what are you thinking? What are you doing? You're not going to be celebrated in that moment. But here we are, right, thousands of years later, in Dallas, Texas, talking about these people, admiring them in the, in the, in, as legends, right? This is the power of making the right decision when everything is on the line. And sometimes when your faith is on the line, when, you, when your faith is, is you know, teetering on the edge and you're walking that fine line, you have to do something that might seem like to other people is a little bit kind of crazy, right? You might, have to, you might have to take time away. You might have to, you know, not go out. You might have to, you know, not buy that thing that everyone's, you might have to do something that people, like they don't get it. But you understand, and you understand that by doing that thing, by protecting your faith, you are preserving what makes you you. Allah says, don't be like those people who forgot Allah so they forgot themselves. You fall into the monoculture, you do what everyone else is doing, 
you become just as unrecognizable as everybody else. Right? You give it all away. The faith that makes you different. The thing that makes you stick out. When everyone else is drinking, Thirsty Thursdays. Is Abdul, you going to come with? And you say, no. I can't tell you, subhanAllah, how many times in my life, whether it's like those Uber drivers that don't take a hint. You guys understand? You got the headphones in? They're like, so tell me about your life. We have seven minutes. Give me your biography. And you're like, terminal C, please. Just, you know, like, or the barbers, right? That you're trying to figure out if you want to keep going to them or not. Okay? Or whatever situation you're in. The person next to you in the airplane. And they, they make some sort of comment. Or the waiter at the restaurant, the waitress. Right? You guys drinking tonight? How many of us are going to stand up and say, we don't drink? Versus, nah, maybe next time, <laughs> Joe, right? <laughs> How many of us are going to... No, seriously. And I learned this from one of my really beautiful friends. Really beautiful brother, Nadir, in Chicago. We would go into... We'd go work out together. And we'd, we'd go eat and stuff like that. We'd hang out. He's like a big brother to me. And he always told me that whenever somebody can mistake, like, whether or not you're not doing something that you're not doing for your faith... Or you're doing it for your faith. Whenever that can be like a vague sort of like, why are they doing it? He said, never let that moment go except that you make it clear why you're doing it. Don't be rude. Don't be a jerk. But you can say gently, nicely. Are you guys drinking tonight? What can I get you guys for drinks? And you say, oh, you know what? Actually, we're Muslim. We don't drink. But I'll take, a, I'll take a Sprite. Right? And just letting them know. And in that moment, what have you done? SubhanAllah, you may have planted the seed. I can't, I can't tell you because you guys aren't going to believe me, but... I had another run-in with another barber today. <laughs> and it, uh, the first one that I went to, wallahi, wallahi, it's true. And the first one that I went to, he was asking me about Islam. And the, he, couldn't, he couldn't see me, he was busy. So I went to another one today. And I walk in, and this brother, if I could just describe him, okay? So he walk, walk in, his name's Rico. And they're like, hey, yo, Rico, you got, you know, your 245's here. So I go, and... He's cutting my hair. Brother has tattoos all over his face. Teardrops, if you know what that means. He has, he's got grills, if you're old enough to even know what those are. Okay? His teeth are studded with diamonds and gold. Okay? Sweet guy, though. Sweet guy. Just like, he's like come on in, brother. Come on in. Sits me down. I'm going to take care of you. And then, like, halfway through the cut, he says, what's your name? And again, I could have been like Murphy, which I hate when people call me that, by the way. Murphy. Or I could have been like, my name's Abe, you know? And I said, I said, my name's, my name's Abdul Rahman. I said, if you want, you can call me Abdul for short, that's fine. And he said, are you Muslim? Are you Muslim? And I was like, oh, it's going to be one of those, right? <laughs> my girlfriend's Muslim. You know, it's going to be one of those. <laughs> Why can't we get married, you know? So I was like, I don't teach till tonight, man. I'm off the clock. Like... I'm wearing shorts and a t-shirt. Like, I'm not trying to teach the fiqh of nikah, or the lack thereof in this case. But he goes, are you Muslim? And I said, yes. And he goes, I am too, salamu alaikum. And I look at him and I go, you were born Muslim? And he goes, yeah. He goes, everyone thinks that I converted, but I was born Muslim. I said, subhanAllah. He goes, so when did you convert? I said, <laughs> Uh, Rico, you and I, <laughs> there's a lot alike. We don't look alike, but we have a lot in common. And we start talking, man. He has a nine-year-old son. 
and I got my two kids, and we just start talking about being Muslim and where do you pray Jummah at? And I told him about Qadam and Ruiz, and he said, what, it's so close, I live so close. And, he's, and again, all of that wouldn't have happened. We exchanged numbers, all of that wouldn't have happened. I didn't just say Abdurrahman. If I just folded out of whatever, sometimes you make the decision that is more representative of your Iman, your faith, and look at the khair that comes from that. Right? SubhanAllah, may Allah Ta'ala give us the strength. It's tough, it's tough, but may Allah Ta'ala give us that. Okay, now before I just do like a summary of Surah Kahab, let's go ahead and finish, inshallah. But I want you guys to think about that. And I want you guys to have like a note in your phone or a notebook or something that you keep notes with. You read the Quran, I want you to write all over the, the translation. I want you to just make notes. Patience, right? Hanging on to your faith. I want you to just keep those notes. Because when you reread that Mus'haf, that translation every Ramadan, number one, you're going to remind yourself of what you read. And number two, you're going to have new thoughts, new reflections, Okay. All right, so ayah number, we're going to start ayah number uh, 99. So remember, Dhul he just built this wall to protect these people. He's at the end of this journey now. So he, he passed all of his tests, the righteous, pious leader. Okay, the first one was that he was just. He had integrity. The next one was that he didn't take advantage of the vulnerable. And the third one was in the moment where people needed him, and even though they weren't listening to him, because he was pious, because he was salih, because he was a good person, even though they weren't listening to him, he still helped them and he took care of them. Why? Because in order for people to listen to you, you have to take care of their base needs. Interesting in the Quran, you know what Allah Ta'ala says? When Allah Ta'ala talks about uh, 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 the people who they come to know faith, and he talks about Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala, how he allows them to have faith, allows them to have faith, he says what? That Allah Ta'ala is the one who uh, When he talks about them coming to faith, he says that they come to know Allah, but Allah has done two things for them. He has taken care of their hunger by giving them food, and he has given them security when they're scared. You know what the tafsir says? If somebody's in a state of, of fear because they're afraid for their safety, or if they haven't had food and they're hungry, don't expect them to listen to La ilaha illallah. It's just human nature. Allah Himself is saying what? Right? Worship the Lord of this house, the Kaaba. And then He says, The one who fed them when they were hungry. And He gave them safety when they were afraid. So, Dhul Qarnayn, He applies this principle. He comes to these people, they're scared of who? Jujumat Juj, right? And so they say, can you help us? And he helps them. And even though they're sitting on all resources, and they have everything there, they can't do it themselves until he comes and guides them. So then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, ayah number 99, if you're following along, Quran.com slash 18, and scroll to 99, inshallah. Okay? It's unscalable. It's inscalable. It says, on that day, this is a mercy from Allah, but when the promise of my Lord comes to pass, then Allah will it, will, it will be turned into dust. This wall will not stand up against the one who created it. Right? This wall seems like it's impossible to get over and break down. But guess what? For Allah, nothing's impossible. So he told these people what? Don't rely on the means more than you rely on the creator. Don't rely on the means more than you rely on the creator. This wall, you guys are putting all of your faith in it. Right? You know, in America they say the almighty dollar bill. Why do they say the almighty dollar bill? You guys realize how whack that is? How messed up that is? The almighty is for Allah alone. 
People use that phrase, the almighty dollar bill. And then what happens? Inflation. <laughs> and you realize it's not so mighty. You realize that sandwich that was $7, the restaurant's charging you 15 for that right now. And you're, you're, you're like, let me just start cooking at home. Right? Maybe cooking ramen sounds good again. Right? <laughs> it's not so mighty, is it? The dollar bill, subhanAllah. The almighty is for Allah alone. Jalla wa'ala. That's it. So he says, we built this wall, you feel safe, but you know who's causing you to feel safe is Allah. And so don't ever put your trust in the asbab more than you put the one in the gave you the asbab. The one who gave you the means. Okay? So then Allah Ta'ala says, وَتَرَكْنَا بَعْدَهُمْ يَوْمَ إِذَا يَمُوجُ فِي بَعْدٍ وَنُفِخَ فِي الصُّورِ فَجَمَعْنَاهُمْ جَمَعًا On that day, we will let them surge like waves. Talking about the Jujum Ajud, some of us even say it's, it's just people in general on the Day of Judgment. When the trumpet will be blown and everyone will be gathered together. Then Allah Ta'ala continues and He says, On that day, we will display the hellfire clearly for those who reject it. That on that day, we will display it. Why? What was the number one contention that the disbelievers had with the Prophet about the afterlife? What did they say? When the Prophet said, prepare yourself. Prepare yourself for a day. Remember the first time he came public with the message? What did he say? He said, do you trust me? He gathered all of Quraysh. He stood on the Mount of Safa in Mecca. He said, do you trust me? They said, of course we trust you. We trust you with our lives. You're as sadiq you're the one who is truthful. You've never told a lie. We give you, you have all of our wealth. Like we, you're the bank of Mecca. He says, you trust me? They said, yeah. He said, if I told you that there was an army behind this mountain coming, would you pick up your swords? Would you get ready to fight? They said, of course. And some of them started to get ready. They're like, is there one? He goes, would you believe me? They said, yes. He said, I'm telling you about a day that is even more painful. That is even more serious than if an army were to show up here right now. Prepare yourself for that day. Just like you were going to get your weapons and shields ready, what have you done for that day? And the, 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 the reaction, pin drop silence. No one knows what to say. Until who says what? Abu Lahab. Abu Lahab looks at him and says what? Tabalak. Says, may you perish. You brought us here for this? In his language, you brought us here for this garbage? Come on, man. Are you a joke? And he tries to humiliate the Prophet in that moment. So in that moment, Allah is speaking to Abu Lahab. He's saying what? You thought he was joking, didn't you, Abu Lahab? You thought he was mocking him. You thought he was just trying to get attention, make himself popular. You thought he was just trying to get clout. Abu Lahab, on that day, you're going to be the first one to see this. The thing that you said would never happen, you're going to be the first one. Remember, Allah Ta'ala, first words of the Mus'haf, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, right? In the name of Allah, the most what? Most merciful, most compassionate. All right? Now, some people get tripped up because when it comes to punishment of Jahannam, they're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. How can the one who identifies himself and tells us about his mercy have anything known as punishment? That seems contradictory to mercy, right? If someone was merciful, if a being was merciful, merciful, compassionate, then why would they have punishment? That doesn't make sense. That doesn't square in our logic. But it's interesting, subhanAllah, because when you look at one characteristic of Allah, without looking at the entire mosaic of all of what He's given us from His names and attributes, 
you become very confused. But when you look at everything, you start to realize that they all work together. So Allah Ta'ala's mercy is there, no doubt. And that's the first thing He wanted you and I to know. That's why, Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. He wanted us to know first and foremost that He is the most merciful. But you know what's interesting right after that? Maliki Yawmiddin. He's the master of the Day of Judgment. Why? Because the existence of accountability is mercy in and of itself. When you have people that have lived their life oppressive, tyrannical, causing pain to everyone around them, making society suffer, tearing apart the fabric of morality and virtue at its core, and those people have no shame, no sense of accountability, what do people ask for? What do we pray for when you see crimes being committed? Oh Allah, give us justice. Oh Allah, take care of us. Oh Allah, they're being women, children, men, young, old, being killed. Their lives being destroyed. Lineages being ruined. Countries being put back. Centuries. The mercy of Allah in that moment is the justice. Does that make sense? Mercy can take many shapes and forms. Right? When Iman pushes Musa, and that's usually how it happens in my house, when she decks him to the ground, this three-year-old girl that has the power of a thousand three-year-old girls, right? She decks Musa to the ground, and he looks at me, he's like, Baba! Because he knows he's bigger, he can't swing, because if he swings, then we're in big trouble. If he swings at her, then it's like, you know? But she knows that too, that's the problem. So she's like, punch me. He's like, I can't. Right? So she pushes him, he looks at me, and he says, Baba! And he just can't say anything. He's like, she pushed me. And if I don't do anything in that moment, right, as his father, if I don't display some sort of affirmation of the unfairness, and sometimes I don't punish her right away, right? Sometimes I'm like, just give her space. She hasn't napped today. Give her space. We said no to Cheetos. Give her space, right? <laughs> just go away. Just give her space, right? Because human justice is imperfect. But when I give her the consequence that she deserves in that moment, like, you know what? We're taking away your nail polish. Which to her is like the trumpet blowing, subhanAllah. <laughs> Take away Iman's nail polish. <laughs> it's next level, man. I cannot confirm or deny if I have been in her salon before receiving nail polish. Uh, check my nails real quick. When I do that, then Musa in that moment, even though on the outside it looks like consequence for him, he says his heart is restored because he sees the mercy that he was looking for. So the existence of these ayat about Jahannam, I want you to understand something before we go into them. Because they're very strong. But you're talking about people that in the moment, in the lives of the people who are receiving this revelation, they witness their own family being ripped to shreds. They witness their family being assassinated, massacred, killed right in front of them. And so for them, they barely are able to fall asleep every night. Maybe with tears. And the existence of accountability is what humanity needs in order to keep us on the straight path. So Allah Ta'ala says, on that day you're going to see hell very clearly. The hell that you used to say, never doesn't exist. Where is it? Show us hell. Oh, the earth is, is the earth hot? This and the, you know, making jokes. They used to mock him. Allah Ta'ala says, don't worry. You'll see it. الَّذِينَ كَانَتْ أَعْيُنُهُمْ فِي عن ذِكْرِ وَكَانُوا how many of you guys have ever been driving and when you were getting close to your destination or getting lost, you turned down whatever you were listening to? Anybody? All the time, right? Or when you need to focus on something visually, you try to cancel out all the audio, yes? Okay. 
This is nuts. Because the Quran references that phenomenon. The Quran references like the cerebrum, the cerebellum, all the function, you know, uh, the, everything that neurologists have come to understand about the brain or the function of how the five senses interplay with each other, how you have a primary focus and a secondary focus, all of this stuff. Allah mentions it. What does he say? He says, those who turned a blind eye or they looked with their eyes other than where they were supposed to look. And as a result of that, they misused their vision. Allah gave them vision to do what? To look at the sky and say, subhanAllah. Allah gave them their vision to look at the moon and say, subhanAllah. To look at the clouds, right? The Texas sunset. Everyone's like, you guys have no hills. I'm like, we have sunsets. <laughs> right? To watch the sun rise. To look at the beautiful face of your, of your loved ones, your family and friends, and say, alhamdulillah. Allah even tells us, how many of you guys like food? You guys hungry? You guys like food? Okay. Allah even tells us, what? He says, Let people look at their food. That's a reminder of Allah and your food. That's why you've got to slow down. You can't eat it so quickly. When, you get, when the waiter comes or the waitress comes or whatever, you order food or you cook food, actually, maybe taking a picture for social media is not that bad. <laughs> maybe it's kind of one of those good things that like, we've snuck, that we kind of like, we just fell upon. Look at your food. Why? Because Allah is saying, like, how did that food get to you? Okay, I went to the store. How did it get there? Well, it was distributed by these distribution companies. Okay, how did they get it? Well, the farms. I mean, you know, they, they're the ones who... Okay, but how did they get it? And the, and, and, and the line, the regression goes back further and further and further and further until what? Until you have to inevitably come to the conclusion that it was Allah. So the burger you're eating... With the patty and the, and the lettuce and the tomato and the pickle and the mayo and the ketchup. I'm really hungry. I haven't eaten yet, right? And the potato bun, the sesame seeds on it and the fries. You look at that and all you're seeing, right? Every human being sees what? Mmm, yum, food. The Muslim says, subhanAllah. SubhanAllah. There was a story of a man. And one time they gave him a glass of cold water. For those of you who are in year two, you know what I'm talking about. Imam Ghazali narrates this story. He said that one time he got a glass of cold water and instantly when he felt the cold temperature of the glass in his hand, he just fainted. But he stumbled backwards and dropped the water. So then he got up and they were like, what happened? Are you okay? And he said, subhanAllah, when I felt that cold glass in my hand, I remembered the verse in the Quran where Allah described the people of hellfire calling out to the people of Jannah saying, give us anything, even some cold water. And I realized how lucky I am to be drinking something that the people of Jannah are going to have that the people of hell are going to be begging for. And I thought to myself, what have I done to deserve this, this drink of paradise? So Muslims are just on another level. Now look, I'm not trying to make you that person at every dinner party. Everyone's like eating food. You're like, guys, hold on. You never thought about pasta before? Garlic bread, right? You know? But... Internally, you should have those moments. Internally, we should have those moments. And the reason is that if our eyes get used to not recognizing Allah and everything around us, okay, that they completely get used to ignoring Allah, all the reminders fall away from them. They look and they don't see the same things, right? Then what happens? Then Allah Ta'ala says, as a result of that, they won't be able to use their hearing. Allah doesn't say they can't hear. He says their hearing will become defunct. They won't be able to listen anymore. 
So what does this mean? If you just tried to do that entire like tangent that I went through on food with someone who doesn't recognize the existence of God, they would say, you're crazy. Just eat. It's food. All right? I, I'll never forget the first time I worked with somebody I got close to. He was a friend of mine at Apple. He was an atheist. And I said, what do you think happens after death? He goes, your body just gets eaten by worms. And I was like, wow. <laughs> Nothing else? And he goes, no, absolutely not. It just decomposes. It's science. I said, okay, thank you, right? And at the time, I was like 20. I didn't know I was going to teach Akita later. But <laughs> I did push back on him, and I said, that's it. Like, all the difficulty in your life, every decision you have to make, every moral fork in the road, every right or wrong, every challenge you have, every moment of perseverance and patience in your life where you do the right thing, it's all because you're going to be a buffet for worms at some point? There's nothing beyond that? And he was like, I don't think so. And we were still cool. I was like, you cover my shift? He's like, yeah, I got you. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, one of those overnights where we're getting ready for an iPhone uh, uh, release. Yeah, so we were the overnights. We got, you know, the pizza was flowing. We got detox, okay? But Allah Ta'ala says, if you misuse your eyes, then your ears will follow. And Imam Ghazali says that the two things that give your heart guidance the quickest are your eyes and your ears. That if your eyes get used to looking at haram things, if you use your eyes to look at things that are not okay, then your ears will be next. And you will be listening to the same thing. You will be in the same audience, in the same line of prayer, and you will be listening to the same Quran being recited, and the person next to you is feeling it. They are emotional. They are in dua. And the ear of the person who's already neglected Allah with their eyes is the ear is like, what is this? Allah described them. That they're deaf, they're not going to be able to understand, they won't be able to speak, and they will be blind. SubhanAllah. The people of Jahannam on the Day of Judgment, when they're given their, their book in their left hand, you guys go on Wednesday, right? When they're given their book in their left hand, if we only listened and then understood. Because you can't understand if you don't listen. And if a person blocks off their ability to listen, they'll never get it. And if they look at the wrong things, they won't be able to listen. You see how it all follows? Imam Ibn Atta'illah, Skandari, he actually had a beautiful metaphor, and we'll move on from it after this. He said, you guys ever gotten something in your eye before? Okay, who remembers... That moment. You guys remember? What happened to you? What happens when you get something in your eye? What do you do? Let's say you're walking with your friends. You stop, right? You stop. Is it like, you know, you could get hit in the head with a brick and you would kind of still keep moving. You know what I mean? Like someone could take a baseball bat to your thigh and you would like still kind of like, oh God, right? You would like, why'd they do that? You would keep limping like, we're going to miss the buffet. You know, like keep walking. If a piece of dust... <laughs> Gets in your eye, you're like, man down, right? Like, you can't keep going. SubhanAllah. I remember, actually, Musa one night got sand in his eye when he was, like, three. And uh, I remember, like, it was basically, it was, like, almost maghrib. And for the whole night, his eye was puffy and red. We were, like, trying to flush it out. Of course, he's three years old. Took him to urgent care to see if they could do this and that, right? It was getting, like, really red, really bad. Called all our pediatrician friends, kept them up all night. You know, ophthalmologists, optometrists, everybody, right? And that was just for one speck of sand in his eye. 
When he came out, he was like, oh. And we're like, it's out? He's like, yeah. And he was done. And we're like sitting there at Walgreens at three in the morning at the Minute Clinic, and they're like, all right, well, I guess that's $340. All right, thank you, you know? And I'm like, you are the most expensive thing that I have in my life, right? But you know what's crazy? Ibn Al-Ta'illah says, and, and this is a very true statement, subhanAllah. He says, you know, you stop your entire body. You stop everything if you get a piece of sand in your eye, right? He said, what about the piece of dirt on your heart? He said, you just keep going. You just keep moving. Because life can't stop. Miss Fedger, keep moving. Just scroll past something like grotesquely haram in so many ways, keep moving. No stuff for nothing. When the sand gets in the eye, you're like, I can't do anything. When the dirt gets on the heart, it's like, it's fine. Another day. Allah forgive us. Right? So Allah brings up these senses to connect us, right? To like reconnect us. Like, look, you have been given these privileges. You have been given the ability to witness things to process things, to hear things, to feel things. Don't let these things go to waste. Don't let these things die. And then Allah Ta'ala says, أَفَحَسِبَ الَّذِينَ كَثَرُوا أَنْ يَتَّخِذُوا عِبَادِ مِنْ دُونِ أَوْلِيَاءِ Do these people really think that in their life they're going to be able to take all of my creation, Allah calls them His servants, basically anything other than Him, as their divine aid, their God. People, some people worship the dinar and the dirham. They worship the dollar and the pound. And, and some people worship the stocks. And some people worship basically Elon Musk. And some people worship their zip code. And, they wor- and these are the things that they devote their entire existence to. Prayer doesn't matter. If it gets in the way of my career, something's got to give. It's going to be salah. If I want this to happen, if I want to succeed, Islam has to take a back seat. That's what he's talking about. These people think that they can take other things as their ilah. Allah even says that you can take yourself as your ilah, your desires. Ilah just means the thing you devote yourself to, the thing you give everything you've got. And Allah Ta'ala says, are those people who disbelieve, do they think that they'll be able just to take my creation, my servants, minduni, besides me, awliya'a, those people, man, Allah says, for their grotesque misappropriation, because it's the height of ingratitude to Allah. I want you to, we can't imagine because it's so difficult, but I want you to imagine like your parents or people that like, someone that did something really amazing for you, your parents, your grandparents, maybe you have an uncle or aunt or somebody, right? And I want you to imagine like everything they did for you. Like go back in time. Look at it from day one. And I want you to gather all of those moments in your mind right now. You have them? Gather them in your heart. I want your heart to feel soft. Think about every time. Like my mom's parallel, I'll never forget, Chicago winters. I have to go to school in my class at 8 in the morning. So what time do I wake up? 7.59. Very good. <laughs> right? And I go outside and my car's already started. It's been on for 30 minutes. Because there's Chicago in the winter. If your car is not started, you're not going nowhere. And who thought about me before I even thought about me? <laughs> you know what I mean? 
now that I travel and work and do all this stuff, I like think about my dad. I'll tell you, one night Musa got sick and I would, I was sleeping. It's actually a funny story. <laughs> so Musa got sick, I got sick. We both had a stomach bug. Um, and so my wife, she, you know, this is before COVID, she kicked us out of the room. And we were staying at my parents' house. So we were, I was literally in the basement in the living room on a mattress with my son. And he started, you know, you know, he threw up a lot, a lot that night, like a lot. It got so bad that he'd be asleep and I would have my <clears throat> hand on his stomach to feel when his stomach retched so that I could get ready to catch whatever was going to come out. And at some point, nothing came out, right? It was just empty. And he would literally just wake up saying, no, no, because he was tired, right? And that was tough, you know, but it is what it is. Like, I'm throwing up, he's throwing up. I look at him, I'm like, man up. <laughs> My wife is like, don't come in here. <laughs> and then I got really emotional because I realized that, uh, like, literally at that moment, based on the floor plan of the house, I was sleeping directly under my dad. Like, like my dad and mom's room was right above us. And I said, full circle, man. How many times did my dad do this for me? I'm sitting here doing exactly what he did. And I can't even remember it, but I guarantee it. So when I told my dad the next morning what happened, he was like, sounds familiar. And my dad's a white guy, right? So he's like, sounds familiar. <laughs> you know? I want you to think of everything that people have done for you. The nicest person in your life. Okay, you ready? You have it? Now I want you to imagine that at the summation of everything they've done for you, you go to them and you tell them, you have done nothing for me. You're worthless. When people deny the benevolence of Allah in their life, it's worse than that moment. The one who gave us everything, and we have the audacity to declare or devote or to give something to someone beyond him or other than him. That's why Allah says, How can they think that it's okay? Right? And that's the beginning of the ingratitude that leads to those major indiscretions those like life-destructing decisions and moments, okay? And then Allah Ta'ala says, قُلْ هَلْ نُنَبِّئُكُمْ بِالْأَفْصَرِينَ أَعْمَالًا Oh, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam has said, oh, he's told by Allah, say to people, have, should we tell you who will lose the most in their deeds? الَّذِينَ ضَلَّ سِعَيُّهُمْ فِي الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا وَهُمْ يَحْسَبُونَ أَنَّهُمْ يُحْسِنُونَ سُنْعًا the person who does all of these deeds and they think that they're doing something good, but in reality they're doing something way off track. Right? Because if a person is misguided with their eyes and their ears and their heart, they'll be doing something that they think is the right thing, but it'll actually be the wrong thing. That's why in Surah Al-Baqarah, what does Allah Ta'ala say? That when you go to those people and you say to them, La tufsidu fil ard. Say back. We're not doing facade, we're doing good. We're not doing facade, we're doing good, right? People that think that they're doing good under the guise of their own desires more often than not do wrong. So what tells us the moral compass to do right or wrong is what? Is our connection to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah ta'ala says that their deeds are in vain. These are the people that they deny. And they reject all of the signs of their Lord and that they will one day meet Him.
accountability will ever be there. And as a result, all the good that they've done will be misinterpreted, misintended. They didn't do it for Allah. Think about it. Why do you do good deeds? You only do it because Allah told you to do it. So many things that we do go against like the, the, the hyper-materialist, naturalist understanding of what's beneficial. Like charity doesn't make sense. Charity, what benefit is charity to you? They're like tax benefits. No, you don't understand. You don't get all of it back. You only get, you know, 70% of it's not taxable, right? So for you, charity doesn't make sense. But why do we do charity? Because Allah told us. We have a booth for the floods in Pakistan. We have many campaigns for the people, whether it's in Syria, whether it's in Afghanistan, whether it's in Somalia, wherever. Why do Muslims rally around these causes? Why? Anyone? Why do you give money to these causes, guys? Let's start here. Do we give money to these causes? <laughs> Why? Do you get something? When you give something, do you get something in return? You, you don't, yeah, you get Allah's pleasure and that's it. Right? Without Allah giving us the game plan, everything that we know to be virtuous and good is up to subjective opinion. We can decide it for ourselves. Right? We can figure it out for ourselves. And so Allah Ta'ala says that on the Day of Judgment, all their deeds will be empty. Okay? That Allah Ta'ala says that will be the reward, the Jahannam for what they disbelieved. And then Allah Ta'ala says for their mockery and for their disbelief in my signs and messengers. Okay? Now let's finish with the next group. Allah Ta'ala says, he uses the same word, Nuzul. Nuzul in Arabic, he used it for the people who are going to Jahannam, but it actually means like a, a really nice accommodation, like a nice place to stay. So back then it was mockery, but Allah here is using it as like actualist term. That those people who believed and tried their best to do good deeds. Amilu Salihat, do you guys want to know something really beautiful about this, this phrase? Amilu Salihat actually has the connotation of very, very small good deeds. Like they're not large. So Allah says, those who believe, and then I want you to picture this. That's it. All the good deeds they can get is like not the big ones, right? They're not the pious person at the masjid every day. They're not doing They're not giving all their money in charity. No. This is the person who's like just scraping, just barely catching salah. You know what I mean? You have a choice. Do I want to just skip it? I'm kind of lazy. It's already running out of time. Or am I going to get up and pray it? Some people might say, you're praying. Why give a dollar? You're not giving anything. But I'm giving, Right? Why do that? Because at least I'm trying. That's Allah. He's referring to this person. Those people who believe. And they will be given the highest level of paradise. Al-Firdaus as their accommodation. Allah says, you guys ever been on vacation before? Anyone raise your hand. If not, we'll put together a GoFundMe. We'll send everyone here on vacation. You go. You walk in the room, you walk in the whatever, you know, you step off the plane, you get in the resort, whatever you're going, right? And you're like, wow, check this out. And then after 30 seconds, the honeymoon phase is over and you're like, why is this there? Why is this there? Is that a stain? Right? Why is the bathroom door not working? And you kind of like talk yourself out of it because you don't want to be that person. So you're like, ah, it's okay. Bathroom doesn't, bathroom door doesn't work. Just put a chair up against it, right? Like do something. We're on vacation. Enjoy. But that's the nature of the dunya, is no matter how good your accommodations are, there will always be something that's off. It's just a reality. You get there, and the elevator's not working. 
Like, oh, I could use a workout. I do Stairmaster anyways. But the reality is it's still an inconvenience. You're hungry, you wake up, it's jet lag, you're up at 5 in the morning, breakfast doesn't start till 8. You guys ever been to a country where they don't wake up till like 10? You know in America, coffee shops are open at like 6. So you wake up and you're like, all right. You wake up over, overseas in some countries, their culture is that they, they stay up late, so they get up late. I remember the first time I went to a certain country, my wife overseas, we're like, we're going to wake up. We're super touristy Americans. Fanny pack, everything. And I'm like, we're going to go to a coffee shop at 7. We're going to do this and this and this. We're going to have this and this and this. We wake up, the coffee shop, the front desk is like, it's not open until 9.30. But what do we do for two and a half hours? We just walked around, watched people do yoga in a park with goats or something. I forget. There's always going to be an inconvenience, even in the most beautiful of accommodations. Except for one place. You're never going to want to leave. You're never going to miss your bed. No matter how nice the hotel is here, you miss your bed. Like, I miss my bed. You're going to realize, you know why? You ready for this? This is heavy. Because you were actually created for there. When you get to Jannah, you're going to feel like this is home. Like, I've been, this is it. This is where I'm supposed to be. Sometimes you live in the dunya. And you look around and you have one of those days and you're like, maybe I'm not supposed to be here. You know what I mean? Like no matter how good you try to do, no matter what you try to stand up for, things aren't clicking and you're like, okay, I guess I'm just going to have to roll up my sleeves and keep going. But you're like, maybe I'm not compatible for eternity here. Well, in Islam we say, yeah, that's pretty accurate. That's why Allah Ta'ala made this place a test and he made your permanent abode the next life. La anha hiwara. And then when you get to Jannah, you know when you walk into a really nice, luxurious place? I've never been, but I hear. Okay, this is super heavy. The Prophet is being told. If all of the bodies of water on the earth, the oceans, the lakes, the rivers, the streams... Dallas, when it's flash flooding, if every body of water was an ink pot for the words of Allah, the ink from the oceans would run out before Allah's beautiful words would run out, even if you refilled it again twice. No, 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 no. You ready for this? The scholars asked, a powerful question. What are the words of Allah here? What is Allah talking about that's so incredible, so extensive, that it would do not the oceans one time, but twice? You know what they said? This is re- You guys ready for this? When the people of Jannah enter into paradise for the first time, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala one by one, individually, will start to tell you how amazing you are. How much you tried. (laughs) That I was there. I saw you. When you did everything. And he, 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 he boasts and praises over the people of paradise. The person that couldn't see themselves in Jannah, Allah says, I saw you here the entire time. And he talks about you to everybody. He lists your accomplishments. And he he just layers it on. 
The tafsir said that these words are when Allah is spending those initial moments in paradise praising and welcoming the people of Jannah. May Allah make us amongst them. Can you imagine? The one you lived your life for and you stand there before him and he starts to talk about you and tell you how proud he is of you. My son does this thing every night. He goes, are you happy with me? It's a weird question. <laughs> I'm not a bad dad, I swear. <laughs> he goes, are you happy with me? And I go, of course, Bob, I'm happy with you. And then he goes to sleep. And interestingly, the other day, <laughs> over WhatsApp, my mom was at Umrah. And in the middle of Umrah, she texted me. And she said, Habibi, I'm happy with you. And I was at work. I was there with Sheikh Mikhail was there. Muslim Tusser was there, and I just started crying. And they're like, are you okay? Do you have sand in your eye again, right? They're like, that call back. And I said, no, 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 I just had an emotional moment. And I texted my wife, and I said, SubhanAllah, you know what's crazy? My son's five, and I'm almost 35. And we all just want the same thing. He's like, Mama, are you happy with me? Mama says, yes. He goes, I'm happy. I get a text from my mom. Abdurrahman, I'm happy with you. And I'm done. Imagine Allah saying, I'm happy with you. How like overwhelming that feeling is going to be. And it's going to be so extensive. It's not short. Allah's not going to like keep it short. Like, yeah, good job. <laughs> Allah's going to go on and on and on. And you're going to be sitting there. And you're going to be just in disbelief that this is happening. Everything that we learned of from the unseen is real. It's happening right now. And then Allah Ta'ala finishes the surah beautifully. Qul. O Prophet, say, إِنَّمَا أَنَا بَشَرٌ مِثْلُكُمْ يُوحَى إِلَيْكَ إِنَّمَا إِلَهُكُمْ إِلَهٌ وَاحِدٌ فَمَنْ كَانَ يَرْجُ لِقَاءَ رَبِّهِ فَلْيَعْمَلْ عَمَلًا صَالِحًا وَلَا يُشْرِكْ بِعِبَادَةِ رَبِّهِ أَحَدًا This surah had so many themes and so many lessons. It's like hard to like summarize it. But of course Allah does it perfectly. Allah tells the Prophet ﷺ in that moment to talk to people. These people that, remember, they were challenging him in the beginning, denying his prophethood. Allah says, this is how you finish this conversation. You gave them the four stories they were asking about. You accurately retold all of this. Then you just described the afterlife to them beautifully, summarized it powerfully. Now, O Messenger, say to them, The Prophet ﷺ is telling these people, I'm a person, I'm a human, just like you. You and I, in terms of our created being, we're the same. Two arms, two legs, right? We are the same. You ha The only difference between us is that Allah has given revelation to me. That's it. And the only reason he did this was not because of some other spectacular reason besides he wanted me to tell you that your God, all of us, is the same God. Everyone who's worshipping a higher power, we are all in the same boat of worshipping God. We may have different understandings, but this is one God. If we say God, we're talking about the same God. So, فَمَنْ كَانَ يَرْجُ لِقَاءَ رَبِّهِ Whoever in their heart of heart deeply hopes to meet Allah. Not that they know they're going to meet Him, but they want to meet Allah. 
Do two things. Number one, if you want to meet him, you got to show it. You have to prove it. You get to meet Allah before the big meeting with Allah where he's going to give you praise upon praise and enter you into paradise and say, have everything you want. You have to show that you want to meet Allah by meeting him five times a day. If you can't meet Allah five times a day, then do you really want to meet him? And again, there's mistakes, there's oversleeping, there's getting busy, there's miscalculating time. But did you intend to? Did you try to? Did you put your effort forth? And as long as you're alive, never give your heart away to something else besides Allah. The heart is so powerful, it's so valuable, it's so precious. It's so strong, but it's so fragile, it's like glass. Glass can hold the hottest of liquids, but it'll crack if you drop it two inches. That's the heart. The heart can hold the most intense of substances. But if it's in the wrong environment, if it's not doing the right thing, then it can shatter. And so the deeds that we do fill our heart with the right substance, protect our heart, and only dedicating our time to Allah. Never choosing anything before Allah. Coming back to Him when we do make a mistake. That's the essence of our relationship with Him. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept from us these studies of His surah. We ask Allah ta'ala to allow us to practice all of the lessons that we learned. We ask Allah ta'ala to allow us to practice the lessons, the infinite lessons that were there that we did not talk about. We ask Allah ta'ala to give us an attachment, a love for His book. We ask Allah ta'ala to allow us to practice the best of faith. And we ask Allah ta'ala to make us people that are living, walking reflections of his beautiful text, his beautiful speech. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow us to be those people that follow the example of his beloved messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow us to constantly be in a state of remembrance of him. And we ask Allah that when we trip, when we fall, when we stumble, when we dirty our heart with the mistakes that we make, that he allows us to get up, to clean ourselves off and to come back on the straight path to him with ease. Ameen, ameen, ya rabbil alameen. Jazakumullah khairan everybody. Subhanakallahu bihamdik. Ashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nasturkulikum wa natubu ilayk. I really appreciate everybody uh, coming tonight for the conclusion of Surah Kahf. I hope inshallah that it was beneficial. Uh, please make dua that Allah forgive me for my shortcomings. And inshallah we're going to be praying Isha together uh, just momentarily in the masjid. Barakallahu alaykum wa sallamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.